0: Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? It's your boy, State, of the State of the New York Knicks podcast, episode 132. Shout-outs to my co-host, Mr. Mitchell, from Down Under. First-time guest on the pod, Mr. Jeffrey, contributor of the Daily Knicks. If you're a Knicks fan, you know what the Daily Knicks is. They write articles. They have their own website. Contributor at Playground NBA. And also, the podcast podcast host of who's addicts anonymous jeffrey how are you doing bro
1: doing good state man happy to be on the pod man very appreciative
0: um looking forward to talking to nick tonight as well yo i was listening to your last pod, (laughs) and the guy and, and, and your boy jeffrey said something that i really wanted to talk about but i'm gonna wait till later on in this pod but I really enjoyed your last podcast, though. I wanted to let you know that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Man. Any Anytime we get anybody who, who
1: listens, uh, a good review, a bad review, and we just try and take it in stride, it's, it's, it's all love either way.
0: Bro, it's, it, for me, it's all about learning. Um, since I do pause myself, like I try to listen to everybody and, and, and take a piece of everybody and, and try to put it into my own thing. But it, it's just a learning exercise for me, man. I just enjoy the content. That just, that's just for me personally. That's why I always wanted you to come on the show. I just needed the time and place, brother.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So let's get right into it, man. Um, how the hell you get, became a Nick fan? And, <laughs> you know, what was the first Nick game you went to as, as a child?
1: Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. Like when I was younger, I feel like your fandoms, depending on how your teams are doing, yeah. like they have a tendency to to switch in terms of the teams that you favor most. Like when I was really young, I was actually more of a diehard Giants fan than a Knicks fan. Like I was I was really Giants and Yankees up until you know, I, I started I started being a Knicks fan around 95, 96. But even then, like uh, you know, I, I watch the teams, I watch the games. I love Starks, I love Hewing, I love Houston. But you know, since the the Knicks were actually doing well at that time, and the Giants were really bad, I feel like I, I supported the Giants so hard.
0: Wait, r- real quick, yeah, real yeah, quick. Of course, of course. Interesting. How old are you?
1: I'm I'm 31. So I'm, I'm 33. I just turned 33 in August. All
0: right. All right. All right. So keep going. This is interesting because <laughs> so I, I like hearing how you're a Giants fan and you're a Knicks fan. So keep going.
1: So the interesting thing is I feel like when I became a really diehard Knicks fan, Oddly enough, it was during the Isaiah years. Like, I, 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 It's so funny. I'm, so the last guy, you were listening to the last pod. Uh-huh. The last guy that we had on, when we got offline, we started talking a little bit. And I told him, like, I was the dude in, at college parties, like in the corner watching Nick games while everyone's having fun, and, like drinking their ass off, and like, everyone's like yo like dude what are you doing and I'm like I'm like oh I'm watching the Knicks and people are like yeah but they suck and I'm like well I'm like Eddie Curry's kind of borderline having an all-star campaign and like I was like you don't really know like David Lee is like a top draft pick and blah blah, blah. and people are like oh like okay and um and it's just so funny man because like those are the teams like Al Harrington like like, I, I really fell in love with that team despite how dysfunctional and bad we were. But that's Oof. where I really developed the
0: love for it. it. You know what's crazy, how you brought up those Knicks teams from the 2000s? Because we're going to talk about that later because I, I definitely want you to really talk about it. Um, I, When I went to college, I went to college in 2008. I went to SUNY Delhi State. Mm-hmm. And the Knicks was, they, they was bad. We was pretty bad. So I used to talk about the Knicks too, and I will never forget when Isaiah Thomas made the trade for Zach Zach Randolph, and he said, "Now I got five guys in my starting five who can <laughs> score twenty points." <laughs> so, oh, I, 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 oh God! Awesome. So it, it, it's crazy how, how how long you been a Nick fan and, and just experienced all this heartbreak. Um. What what was the most heartbreak from that era that you that you experienced? Oh my god, man, that's a really great question. Ooh.
1: Um, you know what? I you mean from the Isaiah
0: years or just being like a like like a Nick fan in general? No, no. From from two thousand to two thousand ten. Ooh, wow. Um, all right. You know what? Ah, uh,
1: this is this is like a off story but it's it's not really like heartbreak but it's just kind of like uh um ah you know what nah that that's not really heartbreak though um no nah, no nah, tell it all brother. we got t- i got time right, today. how about this how about this I've, <laughs> I've actually never said this on a podcast before but this is this is a true story this is this is not heartbreak but this is something that really happened um so i went to before the knicks traded for al harrington Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a game and with my boy Dave, who who is a huge Knicks fan as well, um, and we Al Harrington was on the Warriors, and it's literally like I don't know if it's like half a year or a year before we before we got him right, mm-hmm. and the Warriors literally put it on us, like we had no shot of winning that night. I think it, the sc- the final score was honestly like one twenty to ninety something, and I was at the Garden for that game, right? Mm-hmm. So I leave. And me, me and Dave are like, you know what, let's go to the, the parking area and see if we can see some of the players leaving, you know, like let's see if we could talk to them or whatever. We ended up seeing Clyde, you know, get in his car and leave. That was cool. And then we saw the Warriors bus um, leaving, and we saw, you know, Baron Davis get on, and we saw some of those players leave, right? Mm-hmm. So out of nowhere, after the bus leaves, Al Harrington – he comes out and, you know, everyone knows Al Harrington's from Jersey, so he has people around here. And he comes out and he, he leaves the stadium, not on the bus with the Warriors, but with about four or five other people. And he mm-hmm. literally walks with his crew right by me and my friend Dave. And my, my friend Dave yells at him and goes, he goes, Al, hey, Al. And out of nowhere, he turns around. And he goes, he goes, don't let Nelly play you six man, come to New York, you could be a star. And he literally shook his head and vanished off into the night. Like he was like, okay, like he nodded his head like, all right, okay. And it's just so funny, man, because literally he got traded to us uh, later and he became a Nick and it was just so funny that that happened. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, that that's not heartbreak, but that's it's funny you said that. That's the first
0: story that popped in my mind. It, um, it, it, yo, those teams was crazy, man. Yeah. Those teams was crazy. Uh, matter of fact, let's let let's get it right into that. Since you brought that up, that's where that was a part of your era. You yeah becoming a diehard Knicks fan. You know the Knicks. Of course, everybody knows they get to the finals in 1999, right? Mm-hmm. And. We lose. We lose to the Spurs, rightfully so. Right. But then that's when the dysfunction starts. Right. Because on September 20th, 2000, (laughs) we trade Patrick Ewing. And we trade Patrick Ewing along with Chris Dudley and a pick for 33-year-old Glenn Rice and picks that became Jamal Timley and Kareem Rush. And because we made that trade, bro, you know, and Jeff Van Gundy resigns, we run into Don Chaney, Lenny Wilkins, Herb Williams, Larry Brown, Oh boy, Isaiah Thomas, Mike Woodson, Derek Fisher, Kurt Rambis, Jeff Hornacek, oh. then David Fisdell. At that beginning of the two thousands, how did you how did you view the Knicks? Like, what was your what was your feelings on you know them coming off the nineteen ninety nine run? And you know we got Allen Houston, Spree, and all these guys. How did you view no, them? Did no. you, did, did you? Go ahead. No, no, no.
1: I think the funny thing is, man. Like, it's just so, it's just so interesting how, like, as you age, your your view of professional sports and and what a team is doing and their philosophy towards winning, like your your views change, right? Like when I was yeah. that, when I was young, like that, and we were trading for Zebo. And we were doing all this stuff. And remember, when Isaiah got here, his first thing he said, he said, this is a guard's town, right? So he brings in Marbury, Francis, all this. And then he, changed, he switched it up. He was like, you know, New York is a big man's place. So, so now we have Curry, Zebo. So it's funny. When I, was, when I was young and in it, in my mind, I still kind of thought it was going to work. I, I was I wanted to believe I wanted to believe so badly because I love this team and I was like you know what I was like this city loves this team if we could just put a winning product on the floor I know we have some talent here and there we just need this or we just need that but that's but as I got older you start to realize how important every part of an organization is from the top to the bottom you've got to yep. have everybody in lockstep you got to have everybody on the same page. You have to have um, your management, your coaching, your development staff. Everybody has to be moving in the same direction. At, when I was younger, I really didn't realize that. I felt like, okay, if we get talent, you know, this is New York. We're going to be fine. We're going to be good. Um, mm-hmm. That was just kind of based on the fact that I kind of had limited knowledge in terms of how basketball organizations are run. And at the end of the day, I'm still a fan, right? Like I'm still learning. But my 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 feeling of of who we were as a team back then as opposed to now is
0: completely different. So when we talking about you know team building, right? After they trade Patrick Ewing, you know, they signed Jerome James. That was freaking disgusting. Oh wow. Oh my oh my Lord Jesus. And then you know you got stuff like trading for Stefan Marbury. Remember they bring in Steve Francis yep. now October 4th, 2005 the Knicks trade for Eddie Curry, Antonio Davis, and a pick that became Wilson Chandler. Guess who those dra- two draft picks was, bro? Ooh,
1: I think I know one of them. Um,
0: man. <laughs> who were who they? they? So those two draft picks was LaMarcus Aldridge and Joaquin Noah. <laughs>
1: uh, Aldridge was the one that I, I, I kind of had in the back of my head, but Noah I definitely did not.
0: I, I forgot about that one. And you know this is why I got PTSD now. When it come to people who say all these goddamn trades and then be pissing me off yeah. because I say I, I see when when RJ was going one for twenty one, I, I can't remember how many countless trade RJ tweets I read, right. and it was pissing me off. Right, right. So now we getting out of that era, right? Of Isaiah Thomas, and we spoke about you know all the trades and stuff that he was doing. So April, April on April second, two thousand eight, we hired Donnie Walsh, and Donnie Walsh brings a bit of st- stability to us, right? Yes. yes. And, and and you know May tenth, two thousand eight, the Knicks hired Mike D'Antoni. At the time, Mike D'Antoni was viewed as a great coach. Yes. he still is. Yeah, he, was,
1: he was coming off a 50-plus win season. I mean, like, it's interesting, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, I always argue with my friend, too, because I wasn't as big of a D'Antoni guy. But looking back, I mean, it's hard to really criticize the hire. Like, you could you could say, like, yeah, defense this, defense that. But D'Antoni was still a, a very well-recognized name at the time. And you see, when he has the players that he needs to run his system, I mean, he, he, can, do, he, can, he can do work
0: for sure. Yeah yeah and It it looked good right Everything looked good you know we Gallo, Wilson you know it looked good You know it looked like he was building Towards something you know So June 25th 2009 What happens? Doomsday Happens Steph Curry goes 7th We get George Hill Oh my god Oh. Oh god And you know why that happened, bro? Why? Do you uh what is the one thing that Leon Rose do right now that Steve Mills used to do all the all the goddamn time? Um man.
1: I mean what, you mean trade draft picks or no? Nope, 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 talk.
0: Right you always right, used right, to talk. Right. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Leon Rose is quiet. He's very quiet. The Knicks let everybody know they wanted Steph Curry. That was, <laughs> what the hell are we doing here? Right. How did you feel that night when we drafted um Jordan? Well, uh, this guy. Here, it's so crazy. Man, because, and Curry.
1: So I remember again, I was actually watching the draft with uh, my friend Dave, who I, I was talking about earlier. And we we're literally sitting there. And we both, are, we both love Curry, and we would love for him to make it to us. I remember also that was the night that I believe the Timberwolves drafted both Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. So we were, yep. we were looking, and we were, we, the, our first reaction was like, what are the Timberwolves doing? So then the pick comes to us. We get Jordan Hill, and me and my friend were kind of like, wait, what? Like we almost had to research and Google, like okay, like what what does this guy do? Like what? Wait a minute, okay, okay, all right, he's tall, he can shoot a little bit. Blah. All right, Arizona's, you know, it's a good program. You know, Lute Olson, and we're kind of like trying to talk ourselves into it, but deep down, we're just like, wow, man, like
0: this is this is where we're at. So, you know, we miss out on Steph Curry, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then August twenty ten the next attempt to rehire Isaiah Thomas as a consultant. You pissed Donnie Walsh off. Now now we back in dysfunction. Then we trade a first round pick and the rights to swap another first round pick February 18th 2010 for old Tracy McGrady with in hopes to land who? LeBron James. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And it's so funny. You know,
1: what's interesting about that moment is that, so we get T-Mac, right? And I'm sure you remember his first game of the Garden He, he lit it up. Like, he actually played really well. And we're such a bad franchise that we were enamored by that. We, we bought into the full gold, and we were like, okay, T-Mac can play a little bit. Like, he's not going to be here for much longer, but, you know, he's going to be all right for us. That was the end of it. I don't even remember how he played for the rest of however long he was with us because he he, just didn't didn't register.
0: It it was so bad. See, you what you just said aligns with my Julius Randle theory that I'm gonna explain to you later. This Nick fans has been watching garbage for so long that we get 23 games. Of this man, 22-11-6, and And I respect it. He is playing well. But a lot of fool's gold has been fed to us for far too long. So I cannot take a lot of stock into everything that I'm seeing. I can't take stock in Thibodeau. But I'll tell you more later. But back back, back to what we're talking about, right? July 20, 2010, we make the pitch to LeBron James. You know what the Knicks say to LeBron? Nothing about winning. We can make you the, the 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 first reported NBA billionaire athlete. What the hell are you doing, Knicks? Right. So he chooses Miami. Did you think we was gonna get LeBron? Because I did. I, um, I, I thought yeah. he was gonna come
1: to New York. Yeah, I'm not going to you. Again, this goes back to like my whole thing of like I was one of those willfully ignorant fans that like I I just I wanted to sip the Kool Aid. So like. I was like, you know what? Why not New York? Why not? Like, why Why doesn't he want to build his stardom here? Then all of a sudden you hear about we wheeled Don- Donnie Walsh in, in a wheelchair. We showed him, like, this video with, like, Tony Soprano and and Billy Crystal or whatever. And it's just – it's clear that Pat Riley put his rings on the table um, and and had a plan in terms of basketball strategy on how he was going to use him and how he was going to be – become a, a a bigger star based on results on the basketball court in Miami, and that was the biggest difference, so obviously that was super disappointing
0: yeah i was I was oh man, I was so disappointed, but then you hear the whispers about Mellow, so you know for 2010 comes out Mellow wants out of Denver, and you already know Mellow's from New York, right, so clearly he wants to come to New York. The biggest mistake in the Knicks in the past twenty years, single-handedly, was trading for Carmelo Anthony at that moment. For what they gave up for him, they should have just waited until free agency and called the uh, called the New Jersey Nets bluff. Right, that's what they should have did. But no, the Knicks trade four starters and two first round picks for Carmelo Anthony. This. Also, made me a die hard, die hard Knicks fan. I was a Knicks fan, but this trade vaults me in die hard Nick fandom. Like, uh, Nick, die hard. Love Carmelo Anthony, legend. Love him to death. How did you feel about Carmelo Anthony when he first got here? And did you think he was going to bring us a chip? So
1: it's interesting. Uh, again, like, when we, I remember. Yo, it, I, I remember when we actually traded for him the day that it happened, there was actually a small earthquake that happened in New York. Um, I remember I was, in, I was still living in my parents' house at the time, and uh, I actually felt it. And I remember my friend, we were texting all day, talking about the trade. Um, I re- you know, I remember being a little bit upset about what we gave up. However, in my mind, this was at the time of the big three. So you have LeBron, uh, D-Wade, and Bosh down in Miami. And at the time, everyone is saying you got to build a super team. you got to build something in order to, to really compete in this league. And now we have Melo and Amari. So in my mind, I felt like, you know, okay, you know, Amari's a master in, in pick and roll. Melo kills it in the mid-range. He's a perimeter scorer. He can slash. He can do it all. I, I felt like in theory at the time. Um, I felt like it could work, you know, and 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 I also loved Melo's game, you know. I mean, um, I've been critical of of him recently, but like I, at at the time, I was a huge Melo fan. I, I have a Melo poster in my wall. Like, I, I I love the dude. So when he came here, I was obviously happy.
0: Yo, I love Carmelo Anthony, bro. Like, Melo is one of my favorite, one of my top five favorite NBA players of all time. Melo uh Gilbert Arenas, Allen Iverson, Kobe Braun. Like th- like those five guys, like I really appreciate watching because those guys crazy like individual talents. Right. So you know, let's talk, let's talk about the, the mistakes in the mellow era. And I think the biggest mistake was MST using the MST provision stretch provision on Chauncey wow. Billups. And, you know, in the first round of the Heat series, you know, Mari Stoudemire famously punches an extinguisher like an asshole. (laughs) And I don't know what the hell caused him to do that. You got stupid ass J.R. Smith. I'm sorry if I'm cursing, but these guys, like, they just gave it away. Like, they gave it away. You was up 3-0 on Boston. You're up 3-0. You come out with the goddamn black suits. Then you get your asses kicked. Three straight games. Oh, my God. How, like, what was the biggest mistake to you? And, and, and I just said mine. It was basically the, the Chauncey Billups thing. Because I felt like Chris Paul was 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 Chris Paul was coming in. Yeah. It, 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 that was a fact. Yeah. And all you had to do was wait it out, get Melo free agency, then trade for Chris Paul. That's all you had to do. But they didn't do that. What what you felt like was the biggest mistake in, in the whole Carmelo Anthony era?
1: Ooh, man, for me, um, man, uh that Barnani trait. Uh, that,
0: that, one, that one
1: hurt me. That one hurt me on a different level. Like I felt like, you know, we, we just come off the twenty twelve, twenty thirteen season. Um there was a lot of things that happened though behind the scenes. All it was all of a sudden Glenn Grunwald is out. Um and you know there there's a lot of shifting in in on a front office that just had a really successful season, and then we trade for barniani um <laughs> oh boy we, we, include, Oof. we include Novak and a and a pick and and it just really kind of turned from there um and I always felt you know and again like i like you, I'm a huge, huge Mellow fan, and I used to argue with with Friends, honestly to the death um, about why he got screwed in New York and why he didn't have the career that he should have had but um, and a part and a a big part of it was I felt like the reason he had success in New York that 2012-2013 season was they had some great vets around him man and I and I really believe that when Mello was at his best you know, he was held accountable by some of the teammates that he had around and the coaching staff, and Woody was clearly good for him. Jason Kidd was clearly good for him. Rasheed Wallace was clearly good for him, even though he didn't play that much. Kurt Thomas, I could go, you know, down the line. But that next season, none of those guys were there. Uh, Mm It was a very, very different story for the Knicks and Melo as well. And and unfortunately – we could never really capture that magic again. We could never really get the right pieces around him at that point um, to, to, a, to a point where it led to winning.
0: And, you know, and we're getting right to where we're at right now because now we in the, we're in the midst of the Phil Jackson era. And if you're a Knicks fan, you hate Phil Jackson, and I don't blame him. Right. <laughs> because, because this man traded, yo, I will never forget, bro. I was sitting in my mother's house. What, Tyson? No, not even the Tyson trade with, with Phil Jackson. Right. Remember his interview when he traded Carmelo publicly?
1: Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. I, that was,
0: yo, yeah. I said, what the hell is going on but, with Phil Jackson? But,
1: stay, even before that, it's so funny because this never gets brought up with Phil and, and because here's the thing, and even I've had to – I've had to scale back a little bit on Phil just because there was some stuff with KP that he might have been right on. And, like, at the end of the day, Phil Jackson is a basketball mind and as a coach, right? Keyword there, coach, unquestioned. Like, great guy. Mm-hmm. He obviously had talent, no, no question. But, but the guys that were the biggest teachers in his team, meaning Jordan and Kobe, they swear by him, Shaq too. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. As an executive, I honestly found his methods, you know, borderline unprofessional at times. Because I don't know if you remember this, because a lot of people, when I bring this up, people are like, Oh, yeah, that happened. I forgot about that. He he started a weekly um series with a with a writer that he was very familiar with, Charlie Casterly, who wrote a lot of books about him with the Bulls and stuff like that. And he called it the Phil Files, right? So he did this thing where he wrote about the Phil files, and Phil publicly outed players that were on the team. He literally disclosed personal information that he had. Uh, personal conversations with Iman Shumpert and J.R. Smith. He literally talked about. He called J.R. Smith into his office. Oh, J.R., I don't like the way you're playing. Your effort don't. You, you know, doesn't look that great. And and JR told him I'm going through some issues with you know my lady, blah blah blah. And he said he started to cry. He he didn't use those words, but he said that he started to get emotional. That's not okay.
0: Like you don't Oh nah, that's not okay. I never heard
1: that I don't care how many rings you have, whatever Zen knowledge you think you're trying to impart on people, that's not okay. You don't do that in a business, you don't do that in a school, you don't do that in a hospital, you do that, you don't do that anywhere. And so I lost respect for Phil immediately after that. And then, I, you know, I, the, the, the trade-in Tyson for a bag of balls and Jose Calderon and, and Samuel D'Alembert and, and all of these weird free agent pickups, Jason Smith. I just, <laughs> I just became very upset um, because he – and Carmelo even told you. I mean, obviously, listen, he signed here. He got, he got a nice chunk of change to re-sign here. But Phil, he told us. He said, Phil sold me on his vision for what this team is going to be. He sold me on the triangle. I talked to Kobe about the triangle. I talked to MJ about the triangle. And he said, Phil sold me on it. And you know what? At the end of the day, he hired two coaches that weren't really used to running the triangle. Yeah, Derek Fisher was a player that was used to running the triangle on the floor, but he wasn't used to coaching it. Jeff Hornacek – yeah, he, he studied under Tech Winner or whatever, but he wasn't used to running the triangle as a coach either. So the, the whole issue was him as an executive. I can never criticize Phil Jackson as a coach, as a basketball mind. But there were things that he did when he was with the Knicks that I, I could never forgive. And that Phil Files stuff, honestly, if I'm an organization, I could never hire him after that. When you, when you disclose personal information about players and you
0: out them for for things that they're going through in their life that's not right yeah that's not i didn't even know that i know phil was a dirt bag (laughs) but i i totally forgot i swear to god i totally forgot about the phil yeah i mean this this guy (laughs) this guy did but let's be clear here right he did some disgusting things some horrible things but the dumbass Zen Master wanted to trade KP and called him a, t- a tall Sean Bradley. Right. And the package he was going to get was Devin Booker, and I believe a fourth pick, in, a number four pick in the draft. Um. You know, that's the only thing I'll probably give the Phil. Right. and I'll give right. the Phil that he didn't trade none of our first round picks. Right. That's about. That's it. true. That's true. fair. And for that reason. Now we go into this era. Mind you, the last fuck you from Phil Jackson was drafting Frank (laughs) Nilakina. So he gets fired the next day, right? So we don't I'm not even going to count that. 2018. We bring in Scott Perry. Oh brother Scott Perry. I hate this man, but I love this man. Uh, I'm sick of this man getting his ex-draft bust. To play him on this team. I'm tired of Alfred Payton. Uh I'm tired of him just stop. It, it seemed like for the Frankers, this is just for the Frankers. Yeah. It seemed like he just took my boy Frank out the rotation as soon as he p- came <laughs> into the into the job, yeah. and it was a noted fact that he was not a fan of Frank Ntilikina at the draft. Like he did not, he was not looking at him during the draft. Right. So. You know, how do you feel about Scott Perry now compared to when he first came in? I think I think now I adore him because this Dallas draft pick is looking really, really good right now. Yeah, but I,
1: I mm-hmm. I'm I'm um I don't know, man. I, I so like I feel like as a whole, and I don't know if I have the pulse of Nick's Twitter, you know, completely correct, but I know there's a lot of people who are are really low on Perry and and they feel like he's just a placeholder, you know. Leon Rose kept him because he was doing some work with the draft and he wanted to stick with the continuity. But you know, I I kind of like Scott, man. Like I'm one of the few guys out there. Um, you know, I know I know our guy Nickinator, who I know you talk to a lot. Um, he I know he's a Scott Perry guy, but you know, I I I, I like Scott in the sense that. I think there are some weaknesses that he has. Like I don't love all of his moves as a whole, um, but I do know this. I do know that players around the league like him. I do know that people trust him. And at the end of the day, when Mills got let go, and before we got Leon Rose on, you know, he does complete that that trade for Marcus Marcus Morris, sending him to the Clippers. I know people could say, "Oh, that's a layup." You know, it's easy to get a first round pick. For Morris, but you know, people people aren't really giving out first round picks like that easily, um, and we were able to then parlay that into a trade where we move down in the draft and select quickly. So you gotta like that on, on on some level. So I just feel like I feel like Perry's a professional. I feel like players like him. He develops good relationships with players. Do I love all of his moves? No, but I think he's a good guy, and and I actually really think. Um, and this is an article that I'm working on. I think this trade deadline is really going to tell a lot about if Perry even has a future with us or not. I think if if mm. if the if the organization allows him to do something to add to our team, whether it's an improvement on the margins or or a wholesale move, whether it's a move for Oladipo or something like that, I think that might show you how much faith Leon Rose either has or doesn't have in Scott Perry, and um, who knows? We'll kind of see what happens with him. But I I would say this, in in terms of not hedging my bet and giving you like an on-the-fence answer, I would say I'm kind of more for Scott Perry than against him.
0: And speaking of Scott Perry, you know, let's talk about his his crown prize for the Knicks. You know, Julius Randle. This guy, <laughs> and I'll be the first to tell you, bro, I hated him last season, bro. He was dumb, trash. But last I, did season, I did too. I did
1: too. I, I, you know, I would agree with you. <laughs> I, I, I didn't kill him on Twitter, but in my living room when I'm watching the games, I was not happy.
0: Bro, I killed him on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> every Facebook, man, every social media app you can find, bro. It was. He was so annoying to watch. Like, the Smith moves and the four people. But then he come out this year, year, and the man, Julius Randle, is the fifth player in NBA history to total at least 550 points, 275 rebounds, and 145 assists over their team's first 25 games played. Kevin Garnett, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Oscar Robinson. I don't know what the hell I'm watching right now, but I'm going to enjoy the ride. This man is playing so well, and Scott Perry trades Chris Porzingis, gets their first-round pick, and now he signs with the cap space that we got for trading Porzingis. He signs Julius Randle. So probably the best value contract in the NBA. That's that's really the
1: key. The contract is is great. Um, And it it puts us in a position – I was just talking about this with somebody the other night – You know, sometimes if you sign someone like that on a two-year deal, you know, we would be this year, we would be forced in a position where we would have to say, okay, are we going to re-sign him or do we have to trade him because he's playing really well? We have to make a decision because we'll lose him for nothing if we don't, but we don't have to do that because we have a team option. We can kind of punt on that decision if we want to say, hey. You know, is this just Julius Randle in a contract year or is this what he's going to be like for the next four or five years of his career? So, you know, to your point, Perry made a good decision on that. The length of the contract, the money was not that bad. And, you know, Randall is one of those guys that's in the conversation for most improved player of the year, borderline all star, depending on who you think is going to make that team. So, that's another feather in his cap, for sure.
0: And, you know, the man is having an all-star season, as you say. You know, players in NBA history that average 22 points, 11 rebounds, plus five assists, 39% plus from from three. Nikola Jokic and Julius Randle. Right. Um, we we got to give this man his credit. He's playing well. He's playing within the offense. He's not playing stupid like last season. Um, he's not being a Tasmanian devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like what I'm watching from him. But here's what I don't like. I don't like Obi Toppin getting cups of coffee for six minutes every That's game. That's very... fe- <laughs> What it feels like. Do you, What do you... I, I need to know your take on that situation. Like, right now that I, I brought it up. I, I need to know. Yeah. Because... It, it annoys me a lot. It's,
1: it's a tough one, man. And I'll say this as a guy that I took a little heat. Um, I was a big OB topping guy prior to the draft. So, you know, a lot of people said that he couldn't play outside of a system in Dayton. Um, he's a big pick and roll guy as, a, as, a, as a, a small ball five. And if you don't have him in that situation, he's going to struggle. And I'm going to be honest. Thus far, he has struggled because he's not in that situation. They're playing him at the four for most of the time. Um, and he's also, when he's getting minutes, they're short minutes. So he's either got to contribute right away or he's getting pulled. So the thing, the thing I would say about Obi is this. I've seen enough from an effort standpoint um, and a willingness to defend to to know that I'm not talking about his ceiling, but this guy this guy to me is clearly an NBA player. I've seen him. A lot of people kill him on his defense. It's not good. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's great, but he's mm-hmm. clearly paying attention in practice, and he's clearly doing what Tibbs wants him to do. When you hear Tibbs talk in the press conferences, you know he's not, and he's never going to kill a player, right? But he'll he'll say some coach speak if the guy is really not playing that well, and he's like, well, he's still developing that area. Tibbs is flat out saying, no, I actually think Obi is playing good when he's out there. He's doing what we want him to do. The problem is, is that he's doing what Tibbs wants him to do on defense. But on offense, there's no one really setting him up because he's a really good pick and roll guy, and they're not having him really – when he rolls off the pick and roll, no one's hitting him on a pass. And no one's really looking for him when he cuts on the baseline and stuff like that. You see when D Rose came in last night, he hit he hit Obi off the pick and roll really nicely, and Obi hit hit the jam and it was M1. So I I really like Obi and I just hope that they
0: continue to put him in situations where he can succeed. So so you know I want you to watch this. When you get off this pod, every Nick game from now on. I want you to specifically watch for this. Just for yep. me. For me to you. I want you to watch how many times OB touches the ball when he's when he's in the game for the first five minutes when he's in the game. I've counted games. I've watched I've watched games where Kevin Knox will be standing at the three. He does not touch the ball for at least. One time for at least five minutes. I watch games where OB has... He's running hard down the court. Nobody's finding the trailer. Nobody. And I attribute this to... I'm not going to get on IQ because he's my rookie. Okay? So I know his playmaking skills is not going to be... It's not going to be ready yet. It's not a microwave. We're going to have to take time with him. But as far as Austin Rivers is concerned he's not a playmaker. He needs to be benched. Tibbs, rightfully so. Derrick Rose, love the guy. Finally, somebody passes Obi the ball. But I, I need better guard play and I need more minutes from Obi. So does that, going right back to Randall? does that make you want to trade Randall? Like, do you have, do you see any scenario where you're Comfortable trading Randall, in wow. the in the in the theory of in the mindset of yeah, I'm gonna, I want to I want to get Obi Toppin so, like I want to so get. Here's here's you know. an
1: interesting thing, and then this is also goes back to a conversation that I was having when we were on the last pod. Like, I don't know, people might think I'm wrong on this, but it, it really depends on who you truly believe in. Because if you believe that Obi Toppin is your eventual stretch for small ball five of the future, right? That's what you drafted him to be. It's very hard for me to see a situation in where you can have him and Randall on the team for the next four or five years. So if you truly believe in Obi, honestly... To me, I think you would have to very strongly consider trading Randall, and I like Randall, and and Randall's Randall's effect is more than just what's on the stat sheet. Um, for me, it's it's also his leadership, and he's clearly grown into that. Players yeah. players clearly respect him, coaches clearly respect him. Um, you know, I was very lucky to talk to his trainer from the summer, who talked who really really detailed and highlighted the work that he put in sometimes two-a-days, three-a-days, in order to get ready for this season because, in his words, his trainer even said, he said, oh, when Tibbs got hired, we knew playtime was over. So – and I love Randall for that, and I love what he's done. But if you really believe in Obi, honestly, you, you really have to strongly consider trading Randall either this year or next year Um for hopefully a, a, a nice package of maybe complimentary, maybe maybe players with complimentary skills that you can put about around Obi, which is obviously a, a, a guy who can who can be uh, really good in terms of his vision with passing the ball, you know, playing guys open and shooters, right? People who can space the floor for Obi to move in the pick and roll. Um, so that's mm. honestly, man, that's really what it comes down to. And and if if I'm this front office, and I just spent an eighth, an eighth pick overall in OB. Yeah, I would have to really strongly consider uh, trading Randall. But then the other side of the coin is this. You know, mm-hmm. if you re-sign Randall, that also is kind of a positive in the sense that it shows the league, well, listen, if I play well in New York, they're gonna reward me. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna let me cash out. And I'm also going to be allowed to develop and grow here. That's also something that you have to consider. So it's a tough decision, man. Like, it's not easy. Um, It's very, very difficult.
0: Man, it's not easy, bro. It's not, man. Because he's playing so well. But then a part of me is like, I don't think I want to give Randall 27 million. And, And then it's like, well, what you want to trade him for? Okay, I think I want a first round pick, I'm protected and a young player. And then you say, okay, so what teams got a first round pick and a young right. player? I look around the league. There's not too many teams that got trade packages for Julius Randle. Um, maybe the Hornets, maybe the Timberwolves. Uh, so I, for me right now, I'm not really. Interested in trading Randall right now? I want to go into the summer. I want to see what this Dallas pick is looking like, and then I I, I want to go for. I think there. That's,
1: I think that's the right way to do it. Honestly, like that's really the right way to go about it. Wait until you you have his team option, right? He's gonna be he's gonna be on the last year of his deal. Let's see what this Dallas pick looks like, um, and also let's see what his play looks like next year because Julius Randall, he's not technically on a contract year, but let's see if he plays like this next year with whatever the team looks like next year. And then you can decide, okay, this is the real deal. And then you may have to look at Toppin differently at that point, depending on how he plays, which I hate because I, I really love Toppin coming out of the draft, but um, it's tough, man. These, the, you know, this is a good problem for the Knicks to have in the sense that you have multiple players playing well, and you have to decide which one of them you're, you're higher on and you want to build around. Um, it's it's a lot harder to do that when you don't have players playing well. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we got to have to kind of have to see what happens.
0: So, you know, we, we talking about Obi Topper, you know, getting off the Rangers Randall subject it's, the three-man trio of R.J. Barrett, O.B. Toppin, E.M.A.N.E. quickly, courtesy of Tommy Bear. I love this guy, man. This guy is... His tweets... Great. Th- I don't, he pulled a stat out of the hat. I'll be like, <laughs> yo, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, wait, what the hell is going on know, here? Know. So, know. you know, courtesy of him, you know, and this is a crazy stat to me because how the hell... This is egregious to me, but the three-man trio of R.J. Barrett... Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly have spent a total of 19 minutes on the floor this season. 19 minutes. Oh my God, Thibodeau, what the hell, no, bro? That's fair. That's very fair. So, in those 19 minutes, the Knicks have scored 125.6 points per 100 possessions while allowing just 83.3 points per 100 possessions. God damn, Thibodeau, can you play the young boys more together? So, R.J. Barrett. Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly. How do you feel about those three so far this season? Or to mainly R.J. Barrett um, because th- I, I I I love him. What young Rowan Junior is doing? Yeah. That boy is gonna be yeah, good. Yeah, listen,
1: I I've been very impressed with R.J. Like I think after his rookie season, the thing that the thing that I I loved about him coming out of the draft and um. I didn't know about his feeling, but I knew that he had a high floor, and I, I know that that's not like a huge compliment these days. But I just felt like because he grew up around the game, his dad played professionally. I thought it was going to be very difficult for this guy to be a bust. I thought it was going to be very difficult for him to be bad, and I and I brought this up on numerous pods before. The thing I actually loved about his first year was his defense because. All throughout Duke and my, my guy, Chip, that I do the podcast with, he told me he's a huge Duke fan. He was like, RJ's defense is is absolute basura. Like, it's just not good at all. But when he came to the league, that was actually one of the areas that I thought he was a lot better in than than came in as advertised. And so you look at the end of the the first year and the shooting percentages are what they are. They're really not good. But the two things that mm-hmm. stood out to me, again, as a 19-year-old kid that I really liked was the playmaking and the defense. So I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm kind of watching, and I'm like, well, listen, as a, as a teenager, he can get to the rim at will. Okay, he has to finish a little bit better. But his strength for, for a teenager, again, is really impressive. The moves that he pulls off, he's not particularly explosive. He's not fast but he uses his body in a way that is very unique, and he can get to where the spots where he wants to get to and convert. Now, fast forward to his sophomore year, the percentages have improved. They're not, they're not great, and there's still a ways to go, but you can clearly see that he put the work in. Now when you see him take a, um, a set shot out of the three-point spot, you're not like, oh, my God, this is another brick. You know, you're not you don't feel the same way when Alfred Payton shoots Um, and and he's he's improving, man. And I and I really like RJ. My whole thing with RJ is this. I just don't know. And because he's so young, I really do think we have to give time to figure this out. I don't know if he is a true um, core guy or or a really, really good supplementary guy.
0: Yo, That's- yo, can I can I give you an analogy? Yeah, yeah, of
1: course, of course.
0: Bro, boom. He's not the guy. He's the guy next to the guy. Right. For example, you know the Avengers, right? You know what? i I'm, I do, I do, but I still have to get in. My girlfriend knows it a lot better than yeah. I do, but I got So boom. So boom. He's Captain America. But he needs an Iron Man. Right. <laughs> like, that that that's all. That's what I'm saying. Right. Here. Like I don't know his ceiling or the 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 type of player he can become. The defense, though, I'm glad you said that. No, it's that. true. Yo, bro, his defense has been spectacular this season. He, has, he
1: doesn't get the credit for it, but he he she should because he is he's. Like, listen, you know, and and they talked about it even on the MSG production. Like, you know, listen, when he matched up against Kawhi Leonard, you know, Kawhi gave him some fits and he scored on him. But it wasn't easy. And RJ matched up with him that well and he took the challenge on. And he's done that night in and night out. Like, Thibodeau doesn't hide him. It's not like they don't they don't uh, purposely not put him on guys. Like when he gets switched on guys, he takes it. So I've been very impressed with him on that standpoint.
0: Yo, his defense, I I know he's rated the best defender on the team. And I know that he's attributing to a top five defense in the NBA right now who ranks first in opponent's points, who ranks first in opponent's field goal percentage, who ranks first in opponent's three-point percentage. Last season, when we was around this time, we was ranked 17th, 21st, and we was ranked 29th in those same categories. Major improvement. But yo, RJ Barrett, bro, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know his ceiling. It's some nights nice where I look at him and I'm looking at Brandon Roy and I'm like, yo, this guy, when he's making jump shots, he's reminding me of Brandon Roy. And this and it's just some nights nice he reminds me of Shabazz Muhammad. <laughs> it's right. Just, I, I I don't know. Like I really like this kid for Tibetan. I'm so glad that. He's having a chance to be coached by a guy like Thibodeau. Yeah. And right now, among the NBA sophomores, R.J. Barrett is second in points scored. He's second in rebounds. He's second in assists. And he's second in free throws made. Yeah. Got to love with this kid. Is I, doing. I
1: think I even saw a stat. I don't know if you uh, you just mentioned it, but they said something like him and Zion were tied for, for total points scored in sophomores or something like that. I don't know, um I don't know if that's still accurate, if that was like a week ago, but like he's clearly putting in work, man. And I just feel like, you know, even if he's not a perennial all-star, this kid, this kid has he has something that leads to winning in his blood, in his DNA. And to me that matters, even if he's not the smoothest scorer or the guy that's gonna hit the three consistently. Like there's a lot of guys that their game might look pretty. Um, and his game doesn't necessarily look pretty all the time, but I like what he brings to the court. Um, and I like that he wants to be here and, and I know that this, this next thing doesn't really hit with all fans, but I just feel like if, if you're going to do this in New York, I do think you have to have a certain type of personality and a, and a strength. Um, and I think RJ has that man. Like I don't, this city is not too big for him. And the lights are not too bright for him. So I, I just feel like if we, if we bide our time with him, we continue to work with him, he's going to reward us.
0: It's crazy how we was, sitting, we was all sitting in our houses as Knicks fans, re- respectfully, and we was all tanking for Zion. Right. And I remember when Zion said, hey, yo, RJ, you want to go to the Knicks? RJ said hell yeah if they draft me so we come in full circle and now RJ Barrett is on the Knicks and he's playing great man he's playing great people are starting to take notice I'm starting to see positive tweets about him finally because last year it was difficult it was difficult for all of us but a part of that is attributed to our 25th overall pick Emmanuel Mm -hmm. Quigley um, I really like this kid, oh, yeah. man. I'm real. I'm really enjoying what he's doing. And for example, in 193 minutes, Julius Randle has logged minutes alongside Emmanuel Quickly. The next offensive rating is 115.3. The defensive rating is 105.5. Then net rating is a plus 9.9. And a 100- hundred. In 672 minutes, Julius Randle has logged alongside Alfred Payton. Offensive rating is 105.3 and the defensive rating is 10 is 109. And the net rating is a minus 3.7. Yeah. How do you feel about quickly? And give me, do you have a comp for him? Because I've I've heard many comps. I've heard Lou Williams. You know, I heard Damian Lillard. He's looking when he's hot. He looks like a rookie Damian Lillard to me personally. I've heard that. I've heard Mike Bibby. Who, who do you, who do he remind you of? And also, how is he this season in your opinion? Like, what you what you feel about? You know, I
1: love quickly. Like, I I think it's hard not to like the kid has really come in, and you can tell that um, playing at Kentucky has clearly prepped him for being on a big stage like this because he comes in and I know this is going to sound like a real cliche, cliche thing to say but the first thing that jumps out at me is how aggressive he is and to me, Facts to me when he steps on the court he makes defenses think twice like every, every defense when they step out on the court they have a philosophy and they have a, a way that they want to defend you right and there's, there's mm-hmm. a formula that they stick to, right? And Manuel quickly mm-hmm. makes you rethink really that formula. He makes you think <laughs> differently because of what he can do, how he can manipulate the pick and roll. He can draw a easily. He's a great shooter. Um, so th- those are all of the reasons that I like him. In terms of a comp, um, it's funny. The baby, <laughs> the Vivi comp, actually, now that I think about it uh, – Feels right in a lot of ways, especially when you think about that floater and that set shot. I think quickly might be a little, little more athletic. Uh, he's obviously thinner, um, but that's that's a comp that I like a lot. I just I, I really like him a lot. It's clear that we need to give him a lot of minutes. Um, I, I mean, I, I want to see him playing playing a lot. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't a huge oh inserting into the starting lineup right away. But I do think that once we traded for Derrick Rose, um, and I've had this argument with friends, I just feel like, you know, it's either got to be Rose and quickly playing together in the starting lineup or or in the second unit. Uh, But I do feel like even if Rivers is out of the rotation, Peyton being there does take away – some valuable minutes from either one of those guys that that's going to hurt us. The only thing that I that I kind of see a small piece of logic for keeping Peyton there is because you know Rose is not a guy that can play thirty minutes. You know he's he has two knee surgeries on his belt. Uh, he was playing twenty two minutes with the Pistons. We we can't have him playing thirty minutes a game. Um, I it, to me. Tibbs is really going to make his money on this team, how he figures out those minutes distribution, whether it's I bench Peyton or I trade him. Unfortunately, if he's on the roster, I think he's still going to play him. Um, and we'll see. Begley reported that uh, there was a playoff team that was sniffing around Pey- Peyton that might want him. Who knows what's going to happen with that.
0: But that's kind, of, that's kind of what I think about that situation. Among all players that have attempted at least 100 jump shots this season, Alfred Payton is the only player in the NBA shooting below 45% from the floor, below 25% from three, below 70% from the free throw line. I hate this guy, (laughs) Alfred Payton, bro. I think I hate that number six number altogether on the Knicks team. Like, they need to just burn that jersey, like, forever. Just nobody else just ever take that number six jersey. Like, I, I love Quickly, man. Quickly and, and what's what the, what is wrong with the Knicks? Why the hell they can't get their early picks right, but they always get the later picks yeah. right. What what the, come on? Come on, you, you no, right? we're gonna see what's happening, though,
1: man. Like I, I at the end of the day, I I have to be honest, again, because I was a guy that liked him. So when we picked him, I was through the roof. I was really pumped up. I was ready to go. Then when I saw him on the floor, I really did start to see some of the things that people didn't like about him. Like when you see him move, his his lateral movements and the way he he switches his hips, it seems very slow. Um, When you see him navigate the pick and roll on defense, okay, it's tough. But, but. What I do like is if you really look at all of his games from preseason to now, this has been a big improvement. And 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 you got to watch really closely to see that defensively, this guy is making strides. Like he's not going to be the guy that you switch out onto the perimeter and he's going to hold someone in their step. That's not going to be him. There are going to be times where he gets blown by because he has limitations there. But he's 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 weak side. He's helping on the weak side pretty well. He's had a, a couple blocks here and there. He's um, he's had some good defense in the post where he's held some guys in check. Um, so his his thing right now is just baby steps and forward progress. But don't get me wrong. When you see Tyrese Halliburton lighting it up in Sacramento, I'm not gonna lie. And, and we were fortunate to talk to. Um, you know, one of the basketball support staff, a video coordinator, about Halliburton, and he told us. And obviously, he's not going to talk bad about his guy, but he said he was like, "Listen, he was like, I don't care what people say about Tyrese Halliburton. This guy's going to help you win." And you know, he's playing really well over
0: there. Yeah, yo, he's attributing to them being fine yes. on it. Yes, got to give it to Tyrese. Man, that that was a great pickup w- for them. I ain't even gonna it lie. Was. That was a great pickup for them. Um, but he, Emmanuel quickly leads all rookies in PER with 18.5 and several of the, several other categories, yet ranks 15th in minutes played. Like Thibodeau gotta find balance with his rotations. I think his rot I think let's talk about Tibbs a little bit. Cause we talk about the we we talked about the three young boys. Um can we talk about course, this, man? This, I want to talk about the things that we don't like first. Okay. Because I want to get this out the way. His rotations, I hate them. Right. I hate him because you're going to tire Julius Randle out. Julius Randle played bad last game, but I think last game was just straight fatigue. Like, he was just – he didn't have it. It looked like he was just exhausted by the fourth quarter. He was like, "Uh, oh, whatever. He was just moping around. And everybody else, Bullock, all these guys, he plays dudes the whole first quarter. He, then he'll sub, Topping in these guys in, play them for like five minutes in the second quarter, take them out. It's like you leave your bench on the bench for too long and then never in a steady flow. And I think Tibbs, he got to get better at that, man. He got to get better at that. And also accountability for me. Um, I watch games where Alec Burks go 0 for 9, and he gets to run up and down the court. And Kevin Knox go 0 for 2, and he get benched. (laughs) And he don't see the floor. So, So those two things is the only things that really bother me Besides the Obi Toppin minutes, but like, besides though, besides that, I, I think I'm good. What about you? Yeah, I,
1: I'm on. I'm somewhat on the same page. I think for me, the biggest thing with Tibbs is this: like when we hired him, the big talk around him was that, oh, you know, he's attended some conferences. Leon Rose knows him well, and it's going to put people around him to challenge him. So essentially, what that meant to me was we're going to get all the good parts of Tibbs, but the bad parts of Tibbs that people are going to hold him accountable. Right? Like he talks about holding players accountable and, you know, playing people based on merit. But in my mind, when, when Leon Rose put this front office and this coaching staff together in my mind, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. We added some more analytics based guys. We added some player development guys, but Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been doing this article for Daily Mix where I, I evaluate every 10-game interval, and I look at the statistic trends and whatnot, and I will say this, listen, the same way you feel, I love Tibbs, and I love the way that our guys are playing, there is a clear um, philosophy towards defense, guys play hard, there is a clear organization and a plan in terms of what we want to do every night and how we want to attack teams. I love that because we haven't seen that in a while. However, we are almost 30 games into the season, and we're still at the bottom of the league in three-pointers attempted, three-pointers made. Um, Our offense, especially with the starting unit, and you saw that with Miami last night. Miami Miami took Mitchell Robinson, in terms of offense, out of the game completely. They sealed off the paint. And they told us, okay, we're going to make you shoot jumpers to beat us. And for the beginning of the game, we didn't have anybody who could shoot. So then we put the second unit in, and now it looked a little bit better. You had Quickly out there. You know, you had Burks out there who caught fire. Obi on the pick and roll. Rose was having a great game. But Tibbs, what I really want to see from him is I want either someone to come up to him or him to, to realize himself that our offense from a three-point shooting standpoint and a spacing standpoint has to improve. And whether that means getting new players or improving the rotations, something has to change. And right now what I've seen from Tibbs is that he he relies on the vets
0: and mm-hmm. and,
1: and he's not, you know, he's not always looking to change things up where we need things to be changed a little bit. And, we're not playing bad right now, so it's not a huge deal. Remember, Vegas picked us to win 22 games. You know, it, So things look good right now. But I, what I want to see is I want to see him challenge himself. I want to see him challenge his own way of thinking and being like, okay, what can I do to improve this offense? That's what I want to see.
0: You, and, you know, and bringing up your last pile, right, I was listening to it, and your guy, he spoke about, and this is – in hockey, you saw talking about um, hockey, right. how, how a coach had got fired. Yep. You know, old school coach that was just like Thibodeau. And he got fired because he didn't match up with the young minds in the, in the management office. Yep. So now I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Thibodeau. Right. 62 years old, stubborn as hell. Right. You know, he's gonna stick with the vets. I, I get it, right? The vets is brought here to help us win. But at some point in time, I don't think we're going to be that much worse, just for me personally. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I don't think we're going to be that much worse if we don't play Alfred and Reggie Bullock and play Frank and Knox. And that's just me. Yeah. That's just me. But I don't see Mitch getting the ball. You know, I like the only – let's be honest, bro. Who's the only people that throw Mitchell Robinson lobs? I only seen Kevin Knox and Frank Nillikina. Randall, Randall's trying. I've seen it a couple times. It's rare. It's a rare occurrence. But I don't see, I don't see like chemistry sometimes. Even with Alec Burke. I've seen Alec Burke some games. I'm like, yo, get James Harden, get this bootleg James Harden off the court, man. Because <laughs> he, he's just at the three, he dribbling. Like, don't, don't get me wrong, though. His three-point jump shot is money. Don't get me wrong. He's money. But it's like, come on, dog. It's like the the vets, the vets, you're killing me with the vets, man. I I was dealing with veteran players from 2000 to 2017. uh, Fisdale comes in here, you know, used car salesman. Moody, I'm going to get you right. You goddamn liar. (laughs) And, you know, it, 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 I'm used to this stuff. I'm used to the vet stuff. Yeah. Like, at some point, Thibodeau, he got to change it up. Do you think he's going to change it up, though? Um, That's the main part.
1: I I don't think he's going to change it up unless the players change up. And what I mean by that is I don't think he's going to change it unless the roster changes. So unless they make trades or do something like that, I think Tibbs. I think Tibbs is very set on his 10-man rotation. And unless someone really, really plays himself out of it, like Rivers is out right now. So unless there's another guy that plays himself out of it or unless they trade or wave Alfred, I don't really see it changing too much, man. I, and, and the funny part is, and I have to give him a little bit of credit because in the last two games he's played pretty well. But Reggie Bullock to me, like I don't know why he was so bulletproof early on in the season. Because and I know Tibbs says that he loves his defense, but this guy was literally bricking open threes left and right. And it was tough to watch. And I like Reggie Bullock. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Reggie Bullock hater, but it was just interesting to me that that he really got he continues to get so much play but and and listen he, you know tibbs has been rewarded in in some sense because luck had a really good game against the heat two games ago i think he played okay um last night but like you know there's clearly guys that he favors and he will give a longer um you know leeway to as yep. opposed to others and it's just it's going to be and again i keep going back to this To me, it's going to be more interesting into who talks to him about that. Like who checks him? What's the the system of checks and balances for tips? Leon Rose came out. The only time we've heard Rose talk was in a Zoom with Mike Green. Clearly the questions were prepared in the summer. I forget when it was. But Rose said, he was like, Coach Thibodeau is going to make the decisions for who he plays and when he plays him. But in my mind – I just feel like if you put all of these guys, these new guys in the, the organization with decision-making power or, you know, um, put them in a position where they can add information to uh, ways, in make you de- ways in wake you, uh, you make decisions, like mm-hmm. you've got to be able to have a sit-down with Tibbs at some point and say, okay, like, you know, clearly this is not working. What can we do different? You know, like, okay, clearly this guy is is struggling. Okay, what can we do different? To me, that's the biggest question about what I have with this Knicks season. So far, honestly, I can't really sit here and tell you that anyone is checking tips. To me, it, it, it's kind of like, no, we're going to ride with this top six defense that may regress a little bit. We're going to be bottom of the league in offense. And unless the players change – we're gonna kind of claw and tooth for the eighth to tenth seed, maybe make it in the play-in, and then see what happens after. I don't know. That kind of seems like what's gonna happen at this point.
0: Yeah, man, it's it's gonna be fun, man, to see what Thibodeau does with this roster because I think he's gonna make a trade. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think I don't know when he's going to. I I think they're gonna make a trade at the uh, trade deadline. I don't know if it's to. Uh, move these kids. I don't know if it's to move Randall because the team calls us and offers us two first round picks. Um, You never know. Uh, But I'm very impressed with Thibodeau. The culture is changing before our eyes. I watched Kyrie Irving literally say that his superstar team is not enough. We're an average. You said team. they're okay with being average. <laughs> wow. So wow. So I'm I'm just happy that we got Thibodeau and stuff like that would not be said if you was a Knick. Because any Knicks say that, I best believe that is gonna be on front page news. Uh first take is gonna talk about it undisputed. You know, they always crap on the Knicks, and I don't need this guy, Stephen A. Smith, to say anything about the Knicks. The last time he spoke about the Knicks on first take, we went on a five-game losing Mm. streak. I need him to shut the hell up. So, you know, let's talk about these last two things and I'm going to let you get out of here. Um, We spoke about a lot. I wanted to know what's your overall feelings about you know, tanking or going to the playoffs, and do your feelings when it comes to tanking or going to the playoffs. When I say, ta- matter of fact, let me not say tanking, tanking is a bad word, competitively losing. Yeah. What do you prefer moving forward? You know, I'm- and what you think is the best path for the Knicks to take in order to be, you know, a great team? great team that we aspire I'm going to
1: go with this. So I feel like, you know, when, when we first started the podcast, you were talking a lot about like, Oh, you know, I like to take things from other people and make them my own. Like, you know, the, the, the guy that you referenced earlier that we just had on our own podcast, Jeff Ballone, JB, one of the co-founders of Nick's film school. um, We talked about this a little bit and I kind of believe in his philosophy. So, Um, He was a guy that that we really talked about kind of being more on the side of trying to win as opposed to competitively losing. And he, over the summer especially, like, I think I I saw a lot of podcasts where he was featured and he said, if you really, really look around the league, right, like there's a very few teams that engage in kind of like this constant losing year after year where they stockpile draft picks and hopefully they get – a star or two out of that, you know, like the, the 76ers were an example of that. The Hawks are kind of an example of that. The nets to an extent are an example of that, but you have a lot of other teams, whether it's Denver, Utah, that they really, they try and be competitive, but they trust their scouting, right? So they're the teams that are going to get a, a Jokic a in the later rounds. Um, or they're going to get a Donovan Mitchell, you know, when they pass, when other teams pass on them. So mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of, a, to be, and, you know, this may be a fool's gold thing on my end, but I look at that Instagram post that, that Derek Rose had the other day. What did he say in the post, right? He said, you know, a guy mm-hmm. in the league when I came in said, if you have a chance to play in the Mecca, take it. So he said, this is my second chance and I'm going to make it count i have I have to believe in my heart of hearts, even though New York, in terms of basketball, is not the place that it used to be in terms of respectability. I have to believe that people still believe that that when when New York is right and the Knicks are good, this is still one of the best places to play in all of the league. So my personal right. opinion is if we make this team competitive and and it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be a fifth or a sixth seed, but we have to be a team that makes it hard for other teams to play against us. Um, that, that players are going to want to come here. And I think that's the way to do it. Unfortunately, the 2021 free agent class is not great. Um, but tough, but, I believe, but I believe that, you know, Leon with his connections, whether it's through trade or whatever, I, I personally like being competitive while still controlling our our draft picks, not trading them away, but trusting our scouting staff. Remember, that's the other thing. A lot of people lauded and said that we did a good job of bringing in certain, um, you know, scouting staff, whether it was TJ and I think Frank Zanin, um, you know, Walt Perrin. There was a lot of people that we brought in that people said, oh, wow, this guy has a really good track record, really good history. So my thing is, if they did you know, a good job at other organizations where they didn't necessarily have a top five pick, a top eight pick, but they did a good job of bringing talent to those teams. Why can't they do it here? So I feel like I would rather be competitive and control our draft picks and make picks wherever they land and then work from that point. But we already have, when these kids come in, a set way of doing things that makes sense and leads to wins. I feel like that's going to be better than the other route, but that's just kind of the way I see it.
0: You know, you're right. And you know, another thing, I believe in karma. I believe that the NBA gods will bless you if you play to right. win and always play yeah. to win. Look at the Hornets. Right. Last season, they was playing to win. They wasn't actively tanking on right. purpose. That's true. You know, they put out they put out good prospects on the floor. You know, Miles Bridges, all those guys, Terry Rozier, you know, that's a respectable it team is, right now. And
1: a lot of people clown them for signing Rozier, including, uh, listen, I listen, didn't, I didn't love that either. The dude played his ass off, and he shot better from three than a lot of people thought. He's continuing to mm-hmm. play
0: well. So
1: that's a team that looks good right now.
0: hmm And, you know, Adam Silver, you know Adam Silver, he loves his small markets. Yeah. You know, he see a small market that's last in attendance. You know they might get the first pick. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you, you know, Adam Silver probably licking his chops right now, looking at the Detroit Pistons or the Washington Wizards. Like, yeah, I hope you keep losing because I'm gonna throw you yeah. K. So, I I believe that the NBA gods will bless you if you always play to win. New Orleans was playing to win. They got blessed with Zion, yeah. even though the Lakers they got gifted that fourth pick. But whatever. And if we just play to win and we win 32 games, I'll be all right. If we move up, which hasn't happened in 30 years plus, then, hey, I guess we moved up because we played the game in white right way. But Dallas is right now, and this is a game that I'm currently watching, they're down to the Atlanta Hawks. So hopefully Dallas gives us a top five oh, pick. Be beautiful. The final question what is the dream? And, we, and, and, you know, we just finished talking about, you know, do you want to tank or do you want to make the playoffs? But obviously you want to make the playoffs because you want to continue this good well going. And I really, I, I really would like to know this um, as far as the next roster is concerned and as far as you and the future of this, you know, future, as far as your opinions and the future of this organization – I got to know, in two to three years from now, do you still think Thibodeau will be our coach?
1: Um, So, wow, that's that's so interesting that you asked me that because I personally think, and I kind of touched on this a little bit on my last pod, but I didn't really go into the depth that I wanted to go into it. So my personal feeling, and I know there's there's probably people that think that um I might be a little off on this. I think Thibodeau has a cap on what he can really do for us as a franchise. I think Thibodeau is going to bring us back to respectability. I think Thibodeau is going to um I think he's going to get us back to the playoffs whether it's this year, next year, or maybe two out of the three years. But I really believe in my heart of hearts that to get us to the next level, there's going to be a coach that is maybe a little bit more offensive-minded, whether that's Johnny Bryant, maybe he's already on our staff, or yep. or someone else. But I honestly believe in my heart of hearts, if you said, is Tibbs going to bring a chip or an Eastern Conference, um, you know, a championship showing to the Knicks, I would say no. I I think Tibbs is going to bring us to the point where we're going to be close to that, and then I think there's going to have to be another coach that takes over for him, whether that's Bryant or someone else. Um, Just because I I, I need to see more adjustment from Tibbs before I feel like this guy's going to be here for the next five, six, seven years. I I believe that he's going to be here – for the majority of his contract, maybe he gets an extension. I don't know. I don't know. But I I, I don't think he's – I think he's going to bring us back to respectability and then there's going to have to be somebody else that takes over.
0: So besides me telling you to watch the touches that OB Toplin gets when he's on the offensive side of the ball, I also want you to watch from now on, and the people who's listening to this podcast – I also want y'all to watch when guys go to the bench, who they sitting next to and who's the person that's constantly in their ear. When Knox is on the bench, he's always most likely sitting next to either Kenny Payne or Mike Wilson. So these are certain things that we got to watch for and and we got to see. I also think that Johnny O'Brien is the next Yeah, I agree with that, dude. I really, really agree with that. And I think that was a smart plan by Leon Rose. Smart plan. And you got to think about it like this. James Dolan has no problem paying anybody's retirement plan. (laughs) He's still paying David Finsdale. You know, so... I'm pretty sure he would not have no problems paying Tom Thibodeau while he's not coaching the Knicks, but I'm just scared that, you know, I I don't want Thibodeau to run these boys into the ground, yeah. man. I, I really That's don't, man. Uh, I I really don't. You know, I watched last game. R.J. looked like he didn't have it. You know, R.J. looked the R.J. looked tired, man. Randall looked tired. So I'm just hoping that Thibodeau could just switch it up a little bit, just a little bit, so we could see some more modern-day basketball. Because I, I like the 90s Knicks scores, the 98, 96 score. It's cool, but we got to put points on the board. At some point in time, we got to score the basketball. But, you know, I think we got into everything. I think we got to mostly everything. So I know you got stuff to do, man. I know you got stuff to do. I really appreciate you. Coming on to the show, man. Any any last things on your mind, though? No. If you got anything else that, that, that's on your mind. I don't think
1: too much, man. I think um, the last thing I would just say is, um, you know, February to me is a super interesting month. The trade deadline is towards the end of March. Uh, and I'm, and right. I'm very, very interested to see where we're at at the end of February. I told my friend the other night that I think we would finish these next 10 games off at four and six. And I think that would leave us at 15 and 21, I think, which is not a great record. Um, but I'm just very interested to see how we do and, and how that influences the decisions that we make at the deadline. Um but listen, man, thank you so much for having me on. This was a great talk. Um uh, yes, always sir. always appreciative to come on any podcast, talk Nicks. Um, and, uh, yes, sir. A great time for, for sure. Absolutely.
0: Let, let the people know where they can find you at. Let the people know when's your next project, when your next article, everything you, you got to let them know, because you put in a lot of work. Um, I know it's nights that you've stayed up to like two, three in the morning. you was probably working on an article. Um, people don't understand the things that go behind the scenes, I know you got a family. I know I know you got people that you probably take care of. And you know, I, I appreciate pre- people like you who put in the work and actually love that love the work that they're doing. Like I really appreciate that, man. But tell the people all your next projects and stuff and, and where oh, they come most find Certainly.
1: It, and and that means the world to me. This is a this is a great community, the next community. And we got a lot of people that are working hard and and I think Um, The biggest thing that we have to do is just show love and show support for each other. Um, But, but, you know, what I'm, in terms of Twitter, you can find me at Jeff underscore boy underscore uh, RD. Um, I'm usually just tweeting nonsense, either, either about work, life. um, the Nick's always uh, the Hoops Addicts Anonymous podcast. That's like my, my baby, me and, and my guy, Chip Murphy, we host that. Try and put out at least two or three episodes weekly. I write for Daily Knicks. I, I have a couple articles that I'm working on. I have, I have a Scott Perry article work that I'm working on that I hope people will enjoy. Also, a uh, when they finally finish their 30th game, I will review kind of the, the positive and negative trends. I write for the Playgrounder, which is a really really great site that you know I'm trying to be more active in as well. Um, so just anything hoops related. But I'm 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 always a guy that. You know, uh, I enjoy talking with people on Twitter, interacting, you know, BSing, whatever. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much it for me.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? That was the end of the pod. It's your boy, State of the State of the New York Knicks podcast, episode 132, with my guy, Jeffrey, from the Hoops Addicts Anonymous pod. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Nick Nation, be safe, protect your family. Pray for your loved ones. I'm out of here. Your boy State. Peace.